Welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. Hey Laurie, welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's good. It's good. It's good to kind of finally um, get this chat going. I've, I've followed you personally for a while um, via the power of LinkedIn and Twitter. And I think it was Paul Sherwood who kind of got this this introduction done officially. So it's good to have you here. Excellent. I, I'm, like I said, really glad to be here. And, and thanks for thanks for following me online. No problem. Not a problem at all. So let's jump straight in. So I, I think before we, we get started, I, I have three pretty simple questions. So first thing I did is I asked you what would be your tagline if, to yes. sum you up? And can you remember what you said? Probably something around the lines of uh, I'm a bit of a, a learning rebel and I, I think we're doing most things uh, in digital learning wrong and, uh, and and don't get me started on my hatred of avatars. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I am 100% going to pick up on all them things. So, okay. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> so quick question. What yeah. When you was in school and the teacher would ask you many, many years ago, like they asked me many, many years ago, what mm-hmm. was it I wanted to be when I grew up? What would what was your what was your answer? My answer, I remember very clearly for a long time, was actually to be an astronaut, and um, and this was uh, was was fun because I, I guess there was a lot of space things happening in the news around that time, so that that I just naturally got into that and. Um, little funny story about that. I went on a flight uh, for the first time and my mom explained to me, oh, we'll be going up in space, like in the astronauts. And in my brain, I equated that to there'd be zero gravity. So every time she tried to remove my seatbelt, I screamed bloody murder because I thought I'd float around the airplane. Um, so, <laughs> And I never recovered from my fear of flying to this day. Wow. Wow. The experience. <laughs> See, this is a thing. Mom and dads, you know, we always look out for you and go, yeah, give you some great advice. <laughs> I yeah. love it. So... I guess astronaut and you know you talked about your tagline of being um you know the learning rebel and before we jump straight into that I just need you to pick four random numbers for me please from one to a hundred from one to a hundred uh eight yeah. 43 okay 64 yeah and 99 okay so I just read them back so I've got 8 43 64 and 99 yep perfect we'll come to them later on so um talk to me about the learning rebel. Tell me, tell me what that's all about. I think for me, it is when I see a lot of the e-learning, and I'm talking primarily about digital learning because um, you know, classroom we've we've been in it a long time. I mean, that goes dates back to to, to Plato and, and and you know, sitting in a cave and teaching each other things. But the digital is is, is still in its infancy and. And I think we we we've done ourselves a disservice in the way that we've approached it. We've we've tried to um, only listen to ourselves, and we we operate in a bit of a of an echo chamber, um, in in the sense of we we try and replicate the classroom experience online, and that's just simply not how people behave in a digital environment. I mean, things happen in microseconds, and you know people are jumping around, and there's all sorts of competitions for attention, and. Um, you know, I think we've just got a lot to learn, uh, a lot to learn. So when I see some of the click next to continue, those are the types of modules that uh, really make me scream. <laughs> I'm completely on the same page with you on that one. So mm-hmm. I guess, you know, I, I know who Laurie is, but I, I guess some of the listeners might not. So maybe maybe give us a bit of a brief overview of who you are and kind of a bit of a touch upon your bio, where you've come from to get to where you are right now. 
Sure. Uh, so uh, you can tell by my accent. Um, uh, well, maybe or maybe you can't. I'm, I'm Canadian. Um, so that's uh, where, I've, where I've spent the majority of my career. Uh, went to school here, all that sort of stuff, grew up here. And then I did an interesting detour. And this is what got me into learning is um, I went over to Poland to, to teach. And that's when I caught the learning bug and did the proverbial uh, teaching as a second language. And then um, when I came back, I uh, wanted to keep into education and um, did a few stints in high schools and then went into corporate education and primarily in financial institutions, um, as I like to joke, because um, they flew me business class. So <laughs> which is sad to say, but, but I had a really good time and I learned so much. They, they were great, great places, great places to work. And, and that really where was where learning was happening at that time, because there were so many regulatory changes happening. So it was you know where the birth of the LMS really came in and all that. So it, it was good. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember things like the CD-ROMs and all, all of that good stuff in, in learning. And then I did something that really changed in my career, and I'm, I'm so glad I did it, which was I, I took actually what was on, on paper a bit of a demotion, and I went to a company called Eloqua, which was a not quite a startup, but um, it was a marketing automation company, and I was designing, heading up a learning team designing learning for customers. And that just blew my mind because our audience were primarily digital marketers and they don't hold back on Twitter or anywhere <laughs> else on their opinion of your courses and on what you're doing. And that was when I really just, just really saw that education, the way I thought it worked, just didn't work. It reminded me of when I was teaching in high school and had these, you know, unruly um, uh, teenagers. Um, it was, it was the same and I had, and I had to change. Um, that company uh, went went public and got got bought, um, and I ended up uh, uh, at KPMG, which was also too a, a really interesting experience in global. And um, and uh, then uh, I started doing consulting, and now I'm uh, chief learning officer at Fuse. So that was a bit lengthy, but that's sort of how I got where I am. Yes, and congratulations, the Fuse. It's quite a new announcement. Am I right in saying that? Yes, I still have the new employee smell. I think I'm I'm two and a half days in. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Two yes. and a half days in. It's always good. I find you know the onboarding experience of a company and kind of how they embrace you in. Um, yes. And it's it's always nice to kind of have that you know that that new feeling and kind of put yeah. yourself back into the the newbie shoes as well. Yes. And experiencing yes. it again. So yes. Talk to me a little bit about um, Poland. So that's that <laughs> sounds quite interesting. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not a natural choice. Um, most people, <laughs> most people go to places like Japan or Korea to, to teach English, um, or places that are warm. Um, I decided to uh, explore my my familial roots. Uh, my mother's Polish, and I, I spent time there in in, in my youth. And uh, I thought, hey, I, I can go back and and, and go there. And um, it, it was a great experience. I I, I learned a lot. I. I um, it was an, it was just a way to you know, I mean I picked up the language and I had to think on my feet. Poland was very very different at that time. This is going back to about 1996. Um, certainly not the way it is it, it is today. Um, but I think the most uh, intriguing part of that is I was I was teaching at this little college um, that was affiliated with the University of Poznan and. My lecture hall was upstairs and downstairs they were teaching more practical skills, uh, namely uh, the art of um, carving gravestones. So you okay. would approach the school and there would be like 100 gravestones and, you know, 30 people working on them. And that was always a bit disconcerting when you came in. <laughs> um, and then 
the other uh, fun part about that location was just outside was uh, actually a military uh, training field. And so every once in a while we would get faxed, uh, you know, reports saying don't go too near to the fence and you would hear machine gun fire. And that too was, was very concerning. Wow. So I learned to laugh a lot there. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Wow. What, what an experience that was. It sounds, yeah. it sounds like it, it's, it's one of the experiences, what, kind of challenges you upstairs you know upstairs you've got this going on downstairs and outside you've got random machine gun fire Brilliant. exactly exactly but we were assured that we were always safe so <laughs> so just um i guess just touching upon your bio a little bit these um i noticed you you are involved with little blue school house for autism yes i am and adopt, yes i am and adopt for life yeah so kind of how how did that come about so um, the Little Blue Schoolhouse actually was came from a, a high school friend of mine that I've known for, for years. And uh, his son, at the age of two, was was diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. And as he grew older, uh, his, his needs for education uh, really increased and exceeded beyond what a, a traditional classroom and, and school system or private school would even be able to, to accommodate. So um, they ended up starting their own school. Uh, and this is for young adults, teaching them life skills to be able to, um, you know, have impact and, and, and meaning and, and uh, you know, basically ha- live really productive lives. Um, so right now, I think they've got, uh, we, we have about six students that uh, come in on a day-to-day basis, and it's really intense, um, intense therapy, one-on-one therapy with the remarkable uh, teachers and therapists that work there. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful place when you go there. It's, it's, it's really amazing to see. And an adopt for life, I think, came out of a, a, a more personal experience. Um, my husband and I, we uh, tried to adopt for several years, and we encountered many challenges with the Ontario adoption system, which uh, um, were, were things that we realized were not benefiting the children that were in, were in the system. So um, I became quite vocal about our experience and wrote for a lot of the national papers and appeared on the nightly news, much to the concern of my parents. <laughs> they said they were glad it was for something good. <laughs> And, um, and then uh, became uh, involved with Adopt for Life, which uh, is of a more formal body that advocates for the rights of children who are both in care, uh, seeking permanency and, and post-permanency. Wow, such, such, such great causes. I think, you know, the, the, um, the Blue School House kind of jumped out to me. I've done some work in the past with young adults who, again, who have been on the, like, the spectrum. It, it, was wow. a, it was about giving them um, employability skills. Yeah. Um, it was just yeah. a, it was a twelve week course which I designed, but it was one of them things where it was a feel good factor. You you yes. know it's 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 one of them things where you actually sit back and go actually yeah you know you get you, you can design some programs and whatever and you get the good factor of giving back. But that really is one of them things where you know you do feel good and you do sit back and go mm-hmm. yes I've made a change I've made I've yeah. made an impact in one way or another. So. And- and I was going to say, did you not also find too, like the honesty, like the feedback is, is, is always really, really interesting when you're working some, with some people on, on the spectrum and, yeah. and, and that's refreshing. Yes, 100%. So mine was, so I did it with a local community called Bolton Lads and Girls Club. Um, yes. And it was called the Employability Programme. And basically within, within this group, there'd be, you know, autistic young adults and there'd be um, people who have kind of confident issues. So a lot, mm-hmm. you know, there was a person who jumped out to mind who couldn't, um, when she spoke, she spoke really quietly and she had the right. confidence issue where she couldn't speak to a group of people, um, right. people with dyslexia, dyspraxia. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a right mixed audience. And right. 
the, 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 the yeah, it, it made me charge my own assumptions as well. There was an exercise which I put together, um, and I guess I assumed that everyone would be able to do it. And it was mm-hmm. a bit like a hot phone challenge, really, where you, you know, you customer service skills. And right. yeah, and I made the assumption that they would be able to do it because it was a one to one. And I, it was probably when learning lessons where I didn't take into account the technology between the two people. Right. Um, which I, I get, which I should really know from my own my own um, personal experiences because from a networking point of view, um, I, I find networking awkward. Um, right. So I guess I should have made that assumption that I find it awkward. So why should nobody else find it awkward? Um, so yeah, it was a it was a real good. It was nice to give back, but it was also a real good learning for me as well. And isn't that the fascinating thing when you when you do something like that? It, I mean. And to your to your point, you said like you you learned so much from it, and it challenges the way that that you think. And you know, I also you know find in some some of my interactions there is is you have to think differently about how you teach, how you communicate, and and everyone is capable. It's it's a it's a matter of finding the right the right pathway. Yes, spot on. I couldn't have summed it up better. So, what's I guess before we we even jump into kind of your expertise and stuff, what mm-hmm. if I was to ask you to sum up what you do? But I want you to sum it up to a three-year-old. How would you sum it up? To a three-year-old, yeah. I I teach people like your parents and your aunts and uncles uh, because learning doesn't stop when you leave the classroom. Brilliant. Brilliant. Superb. So I guess let's jump into the, the learning rebel within you and talk about <laughs> the, um, how, how digital learning kind of, we haven't nailed down digital learning just yet and what's wrong with it so for me digital learning and kind of there's a few things with digital learning and learning in general and and don't even get me involved in the whole lmd and hr buzzword bingo and stuff and (laughs) what what, how many can we drop into a sentence but what's what's your take on what why why is digital learning not perfect uh, I would say it's because we have been just concerned with learning. And I don't think we've looked at how digital experiences are designed outside of learning. Why do we not, like people go to, you know, their favorite websites, whether it's, you know, I don't know, BBC or or, or whatever, you know, that they're, they're, they're going to. Why don't we design learning that way? Why, why don't we go to the places where, where, where people are, are encountering digital experiences? We become very artificial. And, and I don't know where that, well, if I think about it, I think the artificially came, the artificiality came from the fact that we were trying to replicate the classroom, you know, and, and, and that just doesn't happen on a, on a mobile phone or, or, or a desktop. It's, and until we break out of that, that's our that's our first hurdle and i'd say the second one is is we are obsessed with counting everything but we've gone about it our own way we've kind of gone rogue and yes we want to measure everything and yes we want to count everything but we we try and make it so complicated to do so that we put things behind barriers on an lms and and and, and whatnot and those just negatively impact the learner experience and so the question i always ask is if you think learning has it right honestly when you want to know a piece of information do you go to google or your learning management system first yes i completely that's, agree that's the answer so i guess you know we, when you talk about how we've tried to mimic the classroom one thing what I've noticed recently is that and I guess it falls again within to the buzzwords is we're trying to mimic Netflix now from a digital point of view. Oh, you always hear the, the Netflix mm-hmm. of learning. Mm-hmm. So, so what's what's your take on that? 
We're not Netflix. And, and, and the thing is, is we can't be those things. And when I say we need to look at other industries, uh, uh, yes, but we can't be like them. We have to take inspiration from them um, in ways because learning is still it, it's its own thing. So, But when we try and be like Netflix, Netflix is trying to do something completely different. Netflix is trying to get you to binge watch. They're trying to get you to sit as long as possible with something, but you're not learning or doing or applying. You're sitting on your sofa eating probably a pack of Doritos and you know, if you're like me, you have a martini in one hand. So it's a very different thing. Also, too, um, we're, we're we're trying to, to to change your behavior. That's not what Netflix is doing. Netflix is 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 entertaining you. Now, not saying that learning can't be ed- entertaining or any of those things, but it's 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 different. I think also too when we talk about you know recommendations and and curation, like if you like this, you'd like this, you'd like that. That again, also too, is not what learning is. If you left people to their own devices to just determine what it is that they'd like, they'd probably be watching videos of, you know, laughing babies and, you know, puppies, um, you know, because that's what makes them <laughs> laugh. And they would continue to watch more of that, even though, the, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that in their personal time, but that's not aligning them against business goals and performance. Um, likewise, if somebody, you know, is doing, you know, like I always laugh on LinkedIn and Linda will tell me that, you know, it's recommended for me instructional design 101. Well, obviously I know that. So that's, we just, we, we're not the Netflix of learning. If I had to draw an analogy, if I really did, um, and this is something Steve Deneen talks a bit about, and is that we're more like the Amazon. And I would say that's probably a, a better alignment because there's more of an element of choice. Okay. So you mentioned, you know, if, if we could choose to um, you know, go onto YouTube and watch whatever we want. We we watch mm-hmm. about you know laughing babies and stuff because it makes us happy. Yeah. I guess, and yeah. and you know, it's just something which just jumps out. The emotional attachment to your learning. You know, when mm-hmm. you when we look at videos, we tend to watch them for the shock element, the feel good yep. factor, the I don't know, yep. or whatnot. I guess. Right. Have you have you seen any kind of digital learning what's attached that and or, or managed to pull that from the user? Is have you seen anything what stands out? Yeah, I've seen I've seen some that have done done some really astounding things. Um, a, a colleague that I know quite well, Josh Cardos, gives an amazing uh, talk where he actually refu- re- actually dissects a video put on Vox about shipping containers, which you would think shipping containers is the most boring thing possible. <laughs> I mean, why do you want to know the history of shipping containers? We all watch this wrapped in concentration. Um, because it was so well done and the storytelling in it. And that's where I think we, we start to, to, to fall apart. And in, in our, our learning videos, we're very didactic. There's not a lot of, um, it's very teaching, it's teachy. Um, that's not a word, but, but I'll use it for, for these purposes. Um, whereas these, the, this particular Vox video, and you can, you can Google this on YouTube, uh, Vox shipping containers, um, it uses analogies, the metaphors. There's a storytelling element to it in a way that you just really were, were, were engaged by. And I remember facts from it. So, you know, that, that, that it, it did stick. And I think that's the direction that we need to start, start going. Okay. I bet, I bet there wasn't, you know, I haven't seen that personally, but I bet there wasn't a drag and drop in sight. No, there were no dragon drops. There were no, uh, no avatars, um, nothing. It was just a really compelling story. So, so talk to me about your, your, let's, we'll use the word hate, strong word, but <laughs> we'll, we'll use it for this purpose. So tell me about your hate with avatars. Where, where, where's that come from? And I guess why? Well, 
again, it comes back to trying to replicate the classroom. I mean, if you went to any news website or wh wherever you go to 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 get uh, information, you know, if it, if a little pop up of you know an owl or some you know character with big eyes is telling you that it it just doesn't make sense to me and why you need something to pop up and tell you you know um oh you want to do this it reminds me of you know if nobody liked clippy you know back in microsoft <laughs> a little paper clip that would come up and say oh sounds like you're trying to write a letter um you know and and, and i feel like we we've done this artificiality and and maybe something like that works more in a in a children's environment but i I have some 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 issues with it, um, and I, I think also too it, it it makes the learning feel particularly when you're teaching. Like we were doing, I saw one. It was a compliance-based module. I, I I can't take credit for writing it, and and they had these you know cartoonist characters talking about things like harassment. I mean, it was just comical because it's like you've made you do not realize you've made a cartoon about about harassment in the workplace, and I don't know why why we did it. Um, now, I mean, there I get why people want the 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 benefits of it. You can do diversity really easily, which hands up I think is in, we don't do enough of that in learning. I hate the Jane and John Doe and all that sort of stuff. But I think we've we've done ourselves a disservice um, by making it so um, unpalatable. Yeah. I guess recently I've seen I've, I've seen a piece of e-learning recently which was designed by a fantastic designer um, mm -hmm. and it was around recently yeah I can talk about this it was around GDPR right um, and it was really interesting I, I, I didn't really get involved in it I don't I've worked in a different element of the business but one thing what I did when I looked into it and one thing I noticed was the design and the flow was really really nice however mm -hmm. the information what was in there wasn't that great and then on reflection, after the you know the e-learning went out, mm -hmm. all the people could ever remember was a theme. They couldn't remember any right. of the information. Right. Yep. Yep. And it, it, you totally, totally can see that because that's what stands out. We we try and show a shiny thing. Yes. Yes. Definitely. I think I, I've I've well, I don't think I've labelled the term and maybe I've stole it from somewhere. Um, but I call that magpie syndrome. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so the yeah. shiny new thing, and we we've got to do this, and we've got to do that. So yeah. The I just want to just try something out. It's just come to me now, so we'll see how this works. So I'm okay. going to say a couple of words, and I want you just to tell me what comes to mind when I say them. Okay. Okay. Gamification. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, micro learning. Oh, ugh as well. <laughs> okay. Um, score. Uh, necessary evil. That's two words. Okay. And XAPI. Um, admiration. Okay. Okay. I like them. It just, it just comes to my mind then. So yeah, I just thought, why not? So mm -hmm. I guess let's, let's change gears a little bit. So this is more sure. getting to know, getting to know you, I guess. So if, if I was to ask you, you know, if you could give a gift of a book to free people to, you know, free friends or family, what would be mm -hmm. the book you would recommend? And it could be personal, professional, completely up to you. Um, that's, a, that's a really interesting, interesting one. Um, I would say to, um, all, all of my nieces and nephews and some of them not necessarily biologically, uh, related. Um, the book that I always like to give to them, uh, is called the giving tree. It's a, it's a standard, but I think it's, I think it's a really important book, uh, for people to, uh, for people to be able to, to, to read. And I think that the messages in, in it resonate, uh, well into adulthood. Okay. Um, I would think um, the 
the the one actually that um, I, I I know that I'm going to be uh, giving to to my mother is a book that's called Educated that just came out by an author called uh, Tara Westover, and she the reason I love it is it speaks to the power of education. She was uh, raised uh, in a very rural community and homeschooled by by parents that had some pretty well, I think in mainstream we would consider radical views. And she ends up um, eventually getting her um, GED or equivalency and uh, being accepted on scholarship uh, to a university. And she ends up with a PhD at, at Oxford. And I, I think to me, it was just the power of, of you know, being brave and bold and looking beyond things and and questioning. And I found her really inspiring. And so so that's one that I would that I would give to I would give to my mother. Okay. And I think the um, the other one I would say is to um, one particular niece because I read it when I was when I was 13 and it and her poor mother my best friend is probably going to kill me but I would give her Wuthering Heights because <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing that feeds into teenage angst like that book and I, I think the classics are, are are worthy of a read. Okay, perfect. So I guess just just rephrasing the question as well is he one book which. Um, you know, we talk about books what change our life, and maybe it's not as intense as that. But is there one book which jumps out to you, which had a, a really big impact on you? I am a voracious, voracious uh, reader. Um, I'm, I'm known for reading like three, four books in a week. Wow. So that's that's your ex English major. Um, I think one of the books, though, that um, had had a profound impact on me uh, for very different reasons was um, a prayer for Owen Meany by uh, John Irving. And I, I think because it was recommended to me by so many different people and I didn't want to read it. And it was after reading it, I saw so many of their opinions and, and thoughts and they almost became, they became like some of the characters. And, and that was, that was really empowering. And it also reminded me that maybe I don't know everything about books. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Good. And I will link, I'll link these uh, books for you know our listeners as well. So they can, they can read sure. the benefits of these books. So I guess let's, from an 80, 20 point of view. So, you know, 20% of the contacts in my phone, I dial 80% at a time. The other 80%, I dial 20% at a time. So yes. putting that question towards you, what's the, what's the minimum you have done to get the maximum impact? So what's your, what's your favorite 80, 20 rule? Or what have you seen work in the past for maybe personal or professional? Uh, the biggest thing that I've seen, I mean, from, 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 that I've changed in terms of learning is uh, where I was previously at, at Scotiabank last week, <laughs> pretty recent, um, was getting rid of the big e-learning modules that take a lot of time. And we actually hired a digital content writer from McLean's, which is kind of like the Canadian version of, um, you know, the New York Times or like a, a major news magazine weekly. And we now do, we did a lot of things in terms of articles and we would get a lot more um, engagement or a well-written infographic or well-written blog post. So you don't always need to do the big treatment for some things and, and that would, uh, we'd still convey the message and it'd be faster for people to acquire it. Ah, right. Okay. Interesting. So I guess going in, we're probably going to touch a bit more personally now on this is what's, what's been for you or the, 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 most positive negative and let me, let me kind of break this down again so what's been something yeah. what's happened to you in a moment maybe it's a negative something what you've done maybe you didn't get a job maybe i don't know but mm -hmm. what was what was in the moment seemed really a negative aspect and then in the end ended up being your most you know your most something what changed you to be the most positive i guess what you know is anyone jump out 
definitely there's 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 a few, a few. Um, I've dodged a few bullets in, in my time um, where I thought it was it was bad at the time but um, worked out for the best but I I'd say the one that um, and I'll, I'll keep it nameless but you know we've all had a toxic boss and um, I had I had one of those and I really was I was scared I doubted myself I really started believing in in those things and um, I, I made a decision to to leave, and um, which I've done at a couple places in my career. So if, if people are trying to go through my timeline and figure out who it was, <laughs> you won't find out. Um, but and it felt so scary to do. And 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 when I when I even when I said the words, I, I could feel myself, you know, almost tearing up, you know, resigning. And 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 I I look back now and think what was I so afraid of and and I think that that gave me a sense of, of fearlessness and I wish I could go back in time to to, to myself and say you know this will this will be okay but I was I was petrified um, petrified doing it because I, I it was just a leap into the unknown yeah well I guess you know with stuff situations like that they can be really emotionally stressful you know? yeah. beforehand yeah. I, I was talking to a friend recently who was handed exactly in the same situation handing the, the notice in. Um, yeah. And she was really upset about it. I was like, well, why? There's a reason why you're already at this point where you, you was mm-hmm. looking for a job and you've got the job. It just right. it just feels like, you know, right now you've gotten a lot mm-hmm. of emotional attachment to it because it, it's coming to a, a head. But I guess right. what's, how, how, how do you deal with stress? You know, there's times right now we're in, a, we're in an environment where we're always switched on. We're constantly getting data overload and, you know, we, it's really hard to switch off. So I guess, is there anything what you picked up over over time on how to deal with stress or is there anything you do when you when you're losing focus and you need to get back focus mm-hmm. yeah I, I'm a stress bunny um and I, I liked what you said before and we should touch on that too that you're socially awkward because I'm I'm <laughs> very very good at that I'm the type of person who like if you invite me to a party I'll find every excuse not to go um <laughs> so um I think most of my stress does does stem from the fact that I am very much so an introvert um I like talking one-on-one but I can get a lot of stress um from from too much around me and i think sometimes also too um i can hyper focus on things not necessarily in a, in a good way um have i mastered it no i, I you know um it, it's something that i i know is 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 in my dna i'm a very i'm a very anxious person um i have found some tips and trips um i mean i know people talk about meditation i can't do it um I have every app you look on my phone i've got like 14 apps on calm your mind and relax and i never use them i just keep them on there i guess because i figure one day I, I will um the one thing i'd say that I do do to to relax is a really odd thing um, and kind of timely. I do uh, Ukrainian uh, Easter eggs, you know those intricate designs on on eggs, and 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 that just seems to take my mind off of things. And I, I also find too the busier that I can make myself, if that makes sense, um, that that actually calms my mind. So if I can say I'm going to do these four things, that just and I just kind of delve right into it and set myself a time limit, almost race myself. That ironically helps my stress. Um, and then I'd say finally, also too, I mean, I, I like to go to the gym. I'll go there four four times a week because I I, I need to. All right. Okay. So where did the um, the hobby of you know painting the eggs? Where did that come from? Is that <laughs> um, that came from? Um, 
I used to see them when I was when I was living in Poland, although these are the Ukrainian style that I do. And I just thought, oh, I'd like to learn that. And there was a woman there who knew who knew the technique and started learning it there. Didn't really go too much further with it. And then a few years after I returned to Canada, I was like, oh, I think I should learn to do that. And so ordered for a kit. And I guess it's been about 15 years I, I, I've been doing them. It's, it's if you uh, for anyone listening, if you are a type A OCD person, this is the hobby for you. <laughs> Super, no. And this is kind of, I guess, the reason why why I wanted to get this podcast together because it's, it's a little things what people don't know about people. And, and I guess, you know, just touching upon the social awkwardness thing, if originally when my, my path into learning development started out as, as a deliverer in, you know, in, oh, cla- wow. in, in courses. So I have this, I call it a persona. It's not really necessarily a persona so much. It's just I can kind of separate the real from the, the job. Um, Got it. So... I guess the reason I created a WhatsApp group, and this is probably how we, we know Paul. So Paul's within okay. this WhatsApp group, and it was a case of I joined into learning development, and yeah, I didn't like the whole face-to-face of having to meet new people and be put in a situation mm-hmm. where you've, you've got to find common ground and stuff like this. So mm-hmm. I, I just thought, right, well, I'll just bring the network to me, and I'll, yeah. probably, I'll do it in an environment where I'm more than comfortable. So I created a mm-hmm. WhatsApp group, and the WhatsApp group's got probably around about 90 people in there now, all from Excellent. learning development. And I just thought, one, it allows me to reach out and talk to people, mm-hmm. m- make these connections without ha- being forced into a room. And right. yeah, two, you know, when I say I'm socially awkward, it, it, it tends to be, you know, recently I was at a black tie event and mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone there and I'm walking around <laughs> solo with a, with a drink. And that's mm-hmm. that's where my social kind of gets my anxiety comes from. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, I guess that's kind of, and that's the reason why these podcasts come out, you know, Potentially, I, I, I may never meet you face to face. Hopefully, we do get that opportunity. But if not, I hope so. We're, yeah, we're both in a common, we're both in a, an environment where we're comfortable and it allows us to speak, I guess, is where mine yes. comes from. Yeah. So, what, if I was to say to you the future of digital learning is, what, what would you, what would you add on to that? Um, I think it comes to, I, I, I don't have a crystal ball to predict the future, but where I do think it, where I think it is not, is as I as I've mentioned in the e-learning modules, you know, I, I think that that paradigm needs to needs to shift. Um, I think th- that that's that's definitely not not the future. I see us switching more to something that I've been playing around with called more like learning campaigns. And I'm not the only one who's been been talking about this. There's a, an excellent article by Bianca Bauman uh, that she wrote for for Tice, uh, the training industry um, network, and. Um, and her and I actually, full disclosure, she was on my, my team when I was at, at Aliqua. Very, very smart woman. And it's this idea of, you know, learning as we talk about metered learning and, you know, where it's measured and that helps with the curve of forgetting and all that. But I see this more along the lines of, say, when you go into a store and it asks for your email address because they want to know everything about you. And then it starts drip feeding you content based on your behaviors. And that, I think, is the direction learning is going to need to start to go. It's going to be that concept of learning being inserted naturally into your into your everyday and by companies understanding your digital body language and where you know you like to go and where you when we have to nudge you towards places that maybe you wouldn't necessarily have gone, um, all those different things and and that's a very nebulous way of describing it. But I think we have to get better at at listening to the learner and really understanding what they're doing and how they're behaving online and start responding to that rather than us dictating. 
completely agree. Comple- I'm glad we're on the same page on this one. So I, I guess I was having a conversation a couple of months ago, um, and I can I kind of guess what, what I call it invisible learning, um, yes. because it's kind of part of me, my environment, and what I'm doing. There's no mm-hmm. stop start to it. It's kind of it's a it's a con- consistent flow of it. I do like the idea of, of digital body language. I, that that actually really sounds. So walk me through digital body language, I guess. So. What, what, yeah, what, what was it? What is it? Um, So digital body language totally cannot uh, take credit for, for the term. Um, The term actually was, um, was something that uh, was brought about by Steve Woods and he wrote a book on it. um, And this was, I'm going to say it goes back to 2003 or so. Um, I worked and he was, he was the chief technology officer at Eloqua. Uh, So I, I had a wonderful opportunity to, to work for him. And this was really in, in marketing terms, digital body language is, is understanding, and, and I probably will, will get it wrong from its, its original meeting by, by, by Steve, sorry. Uh, but it's about understanding where people are clicking, where they're going, and how this indicates whether or not they are interested to buy, whether they're, they're a prospect or not. So did they download a white paper? Did they share? Did they comment? Any of those sorts of things. And this digital body language you know, really indicates to, to sales when, when, when somebody is, is, is keen. And, and also, you can use the digital body language to design your, your, your content back to them. How I've, um, I'm going to say maybe bastardized it for learning, mm-hmm. is digital body language is things like how long somebody stayed on a, on a particular page. Do they just click through it because they have to for compliance? How long did they watch a video for? What types of videos are they typically watching? What time of day? And once you start understanding understanding those things, you now can design experiences that reflect back what uh, the digital body language they are displaying uh, online. Okay. So is this where the kind of data-driven design comes from then? It's Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's basically a call and, call and response. Like if you think about it, when, when you're, you know, uh, you're back in the classroom, right? Because um, you said you're, you're doing some, some facilitation. If you saw somebody on their iPhone or if you saw, you know, somebody really engaged, you, you augmented or changed uh, your behavior and perhaps even, you know, pivoted to keep that engagement level going. Data-driven learning design is doing that exact same thing. It's starting off by looking at data that that shows you know what people are, are naturally doing online, um, and then it's answering back. It does not mean though, you know, and that's where I make the distinction. It doesn't mean just giving them content that they'll like. So we've already touched on that. That's that's not moving the needle. But it's also telling you ways to design content that people you want people to consume. Um, in ways that to, that you're designing it reflect in the way that um, that you know they'll be most likely to consume it or that they'll they'll engage with it more. So I guess it's it's like a it's a bit like a digital breadcrumb in a way. So it's oh I like that term. T- tell me tell me more how you see it that way. Uh, I guess you know when you look at say marketing and stuff like that, we look at you know maybe a, a very simple term is probably Google Analytics. You look how long mm-hmm. somebody's on a page, where they bounce from a page, and I guess mm-hmm. using that data insight to actually use it pre- before design yes. would yeah. be it's kind of following them breadcrumbs and kind of shaping it's a, you know we talk about we talk a lot about kind of um, design thinking and fail fast mm-hmm. and stuff like that and, and one yeah. of the big things I guess why um why I wanted you on the podcast is because recently I did a presentation to um, a company who I was working for and I was talking all about this kind of you know we're talking about LMSs and learning record source and stuff like this and I was like but actually, you just need to understand your user a little bit better and, and yes. understand why, what it is they're doing. Why are we bouncing off where they're bouncing off from? What's the turn-offs? Mm-hmm. What's the turn-ons? And I guess, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it, I, I, 
the, the digital breadcrumb can just come from, you know, following the breadcrumbs and actually using that to shape. What, you know, yeah, and I'd be curious, what was the reaction like? Um, luckily, I was in, I was completely um, in a room where they was completely on board. And, you know, Good. the people who I was presenting to were, were fab anyway. Um, right. So, you know, don't get me wrong, they, they challenged some aspects of it. Yeah, um, for sure. And rightfully so. But I guess my, my argument was, is we need to, I will be honest, I'm not a keen lover on e-learning. I never have been, <laughs> never will be. Um, Isn't this a dirty secret? Like we all are whispering it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway. And, and I guess this is one of the things which I've noticed quite recently is, you know, e-learning designers, they are skilled. They're skilled in whatever they want to do. And, you know, a lot of them have other hobbies and stuff like that. But what I've noticed with a lot of people who do e-learning is the hobbies stop at the door and then they come mm-hmm. into an e-learning environment and design e-learning. And yeah. my argument is, is, why don't you bring some of something what you love in, into this? Get that yeah. passion and get that creativity flowing again. And yeah, uh, yeah e-learning is, is, is something which, I, you know, over my time I've had to design it, but I kind of I sway it now as much as, as possible. Um, right. And it, it's I've noticed a lot of e-learners are slowly but surely changing their job titles as well, which I find really fascinating. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the people now who who have done e-learners in the past are slowly changing their job titles to experiential designers. Yes. And I'm like, yeah. okay. So, and I guess, again, it comes back around to the, the buzzword bingo and, you know, kind of fit in that mold. Oh, well, e- e-learning isn't the new shiny no more. So let's jump onto something what is shiny, experiential yeah. design. And I, I've heard that term. I've heard that term as well. And, and and I mean, I think it's a step up. So long as they're actually designing experiences, they're not just designing more e-learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess this is one of the problems, which is, which is which you see in, in learning and development quite a lot. There's nobody to call that out. I guess, you know, yeah. there's no, you know, you look at in England, you have your CIPD and you have your LPI mm-hmm. and stuff like that, who are trying to make these changes. But fundamentally, nobody will. There's no. There's no call out for it because job job descriptions and job titles can be as lucid or as open-ended as possible and yeah. you know especially when you look at say somewhere like google where you have like chief of happiness it's, <laughs> it's kind of hard to to work where you where you sit within that job title yeah would you ever want that job <laughs> i think i don't think i could i don't think i could deal with it to be honest <laughs> i don't think i could i think i would agree <laughs> so for you, for you, I guess what's what's the free resources you you use? So you can, let's let's do it this way, just to make it extra hard for you. So you can't All use right. Google, you can't use okay. LinkedIn, and you can't use YouTube. Okay. What's the free resources you find yourself using quite quite often? <laughs> My husband. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is like, how do I do this? How do I do that? Um, poor guy. <laughs> There are times where I'm just like, <laughs> hand over my phone and like fix that, please. Thank you, <laughs> which is really sad because I'm supposed to be very techy, um, and I am, I am. But I think, I think, um, you know, that 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 that's definitely. Well, I, I would expand that out to not just not just him, but but certainly just you know people um you know and that and that's where a lot of learning a learning comes from um so i would say that that's that's definitely a a good place to 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 go um in terms of of resources i you know one of my favorite places is is still an old-fashioned bookstore especially a used bookstore there's just something about the smell and the opening up books that other people have read um although that's a that's a that's a pretty a pretty standard uh, answer 
But another place that I love to go, uh, am, am I allowed to go online? Like, yeah. could it be a website? 100%. Okay. So a, a dirty little secret that I do like going to because, and there's a reason. So I like going to BuzzFeed. Now, I know that it's trash, but they are masters at getting content out quickly and in response to what's trending and in ways and they write in ways that engage people it's not for everyone but the way they do it if you really start watching it is fascinating um and so i that's and and i i learned stuff there like you know eyelash serum who knew that was a thing um (laughs) they've got some really weird things on there so yeah and i think you know you, you hear about this quite a lot now but marketing taking a marketing you know one of the things which i have ongoing conversations with recently is when when designing learning campaigns and stuff is stop looking at something from just a purely learning point of view look at it from a marketing point of view wear wear some different hats and kind of look at it from a complete unique point of view and buzzfeed's great do you find stakeholders are are ready for that because i completely agree i completely agree um luckily my previous job yes Mm -hmm. um job before that no um, mm-hmm. I think, I, I guess it depends on the age of the business as well, and maybe the, sure. the top, the top dogs within that business and their their mindset to things. Um, but I do think you know, if you apply a marketing mindset, then you apply you know it's it's tiny things. Start mm-hmm. looking at something you know, even if it's just a trailer to what's coming. Or you know, I'm looking, I'm yeah. I'm just thinking off the top of my head now, but mm-hmm. just get that engagement buy in first. Get that engagement yeah. before you even drop any any form of content. Oh, I mean a trailer that would be that would be brilliant. Even if you just put it in, you know, in, in front of another you know piece of content like coming soon. Or, I mean, and I know I said that we can't be the next Netflix of learning, but imagine just having a simple button at the at the bottom of your your learning. You know how it just automatically launches the next module. Yes. Like, why don't we do that with videos? You know, I mean, um, you know, just, of course, as I just said, we don't, we're not the Netflix of learning, but, but I mean, there are elements that to, to take from that. I mean, that, that would be just, just really interesting. Yeah. I just think anything what grabs your curiosity and intrigues mm-hmm. you, I think anything what is intriguing will naturally want, you know, as long as it's done right, you're, mm-hmm. you're naturally going to get that curiosity of, Oh, what, what is going on over there? Let me have a quick peek at that. And then half right. your battles already have, you're already winning yeah. half, are they? Um, okay, so what's what's the best bit of bad advice you've heard? And this might not be to you. It might be something what you've overheard. So mm-hmm. have, have you ever heard like maybe some advice on? No, no, no. I've, you know, in our industry, it, there's quite a bit of that. But I guess what's what's the thing what jumps out to you? <laughs> if you give them gamification, you'll improve your metrics. <laughs> Uh, okay. Lots to talk about on like gamification. I can, I, uh, there's a lot to talk. Gamification when done well is highly effective, but there's a lot of bad gamification out there. So I think anyone, um, I mean, I think this also ties, ties back to, I remember, was it, was it last summer? People were like, can you make this like Pokemon go? No, I can't. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, gamification has its place, but you have to be careful that you're doing it in a way that is impactful and meaningful. Badges and points and scorecards can do some things, but ultimately you're teaching a person how to play the game and how to win at the game, not necessarily how to apply the behavior. 
So I think it can be used for maybe knowledge-based things if you want to have quizzes and stuff, but that's no different than what we did in the classroom. I mean, everybody's played those played those games and 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 whatnot, but um, there's there's a there's a plethora of, of, of bad gamification out there. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I, I listen to Audible quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and they give you badges for listening and doing it, you know, listening to so many yeah. hours. But I do find myself thinking, why is that even here? Right. Why? Yeah. It's, it's like yeah. they've gone, oh, let's put some form of badge and I'm, I'm here anyway because I want to read. I don't need a badge to say, well done, you've listened to 30 hours of <laughs> exactly. audio. I'm already here already. Why? Yeah. You know, and, and I think to that, and why am I competing with my friends as to what I'm reading? I mean, maybe, you know, there are some people who are, who, who are more driven by that. And But I, again, it comes down to, so if I have people doing, doing a game and I'm teaching them about, say, new coaching techniques, I'm just picking out a topic. Okay, they, they, they learn all of the methodologies and they can recite them and they can do all those sorts of things because they've gotten their badges and they've competed and, you know, they've got a little avatar that says, woohoo, you're great. When they are presented with the situation where they need to apply said coaching model, is there an improvement? And I've not seen that evidence. No, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I guess... Or evidence that I would trust. Sorry, I'll qualify that. Evidence that I would trust. Yeah, that, that's actually a better way of rephrasing it. I guess, you know, <laughs> I was having a conversation yesterday with a colleague... And we were talking about, you know, you look at some data and data can be twisted and swindled into whatever you want it to be. You know? yes. And there's an argument to say, you need to be careful with the data, what you're asking for, because yep. you can completely make it biased to, to whatever you want it to show. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Well, there was, there was an interesting presentation, and I, I, I won't give the. I actually saw this at a conference, which I, I, I don't want to name and shame anyone, but essentially they were they were saying that a sales module for a seasonal item, and I'm going to say snowblower, they had designed a, a e-learning module for it, and of course, magically, there was like a 250% increase in sales of this product. And then I'm thinking to myself, yeah, because there was a snowstorm, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, it, it, you know, I'm sure the learning was great, but you know, is it is it is it really that cause and effect? Now, I, I mean, that's not the exact example. It was something very akin to that, where you know, sometimes when we're trying to track our ROI, we're trying to prove our worth or any of that sort of thing. I mean, it, it can be easy to manipulate some of those things, tell a story that doesn't take into account all of the other factors that may have influenced. Yeah, completely, completely agree. And I guess, you know, I'm just aware of your time here, Laurie. So no problem. What's what's the what is something what you've learned recently, and guess how how did you learn it? And it, again, it could be per, it could be professional or personal. Um, I'm I, I'll, I'll go with a personal one because I was challenged to do it at work. <laughs> I, I learned to make a pierogi, the tr- traditional Polish pierogi, because I, I can't cook a thing. Like I even have my Christmas dinners catered, and that's embarrassing. I know, um, but I can't cook anything. I'm I'm terrible at it, and I I actually uh, using the the power of Skype. Um, I managed to, uh, to to learn and it took a long time, but uh, that was probably the funnest thing I ever did. Okay. Recently, yeah, I'd say that, I'd say that recently. Um, yeah, and I, I and professionally, I'm embarrassed to say I can't even I can't even do a pivot table in, in Excel, so I am taking an Excel course, which oh. is really sad since I'm somebody who deals in data. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. So, a um, couple more questions, and then yeah, we're done already. So. What's who's the top three people in L and D who you're looking at closely right now? And it could be someone who's who's kind of been been around for a while, or it mm-hmm. could be some new up and comers. Is there any yeah, what's the three people who jump out to you? Uh, 
it's it's tough to pick three and I feel like I'm at the Oscars, you know, where I'm going to forget someone. So those who are listening, forgive me. Um, the, the one that I think is, is, is always comes to mind as, as, as really super smart is Bianca Bauman. Um, she, she's got a blog. She's currently at GP Strategy. She's a director there and she just has fascinating insights. I love, 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 love uh, listening to her stuff. The other one, he's actually writing a book right now. So now hopefully by the time I mention his name, um, it'll it'll mean that he, he has to keep writing because uh, he needs to. And that's Josh Cardos. And he is at uh, Swiss VBS. And he just has some some amazing, um, amazing insights um, and uh, about and he also teaches at um, at uh, University of Toronto. So he's super smart. The other one, um, ironically, he's, he's he's not in learning, but he is a professor um, here in Toronto. Um, and he, what he posts on um LinkedIn are so spot on um, and he's really into gamification and neuroscience and I think he's speaking of you know when I say gamification done poorly he's somebody who does it right uh, Dr. David Chandros um, so those I would say are, are three people to follow okay superb um, so yeah I mean just wrapping up now I guess what's at the start of the session I asked you to um, pick some numbers yes and these numbers tallied up to a list of random items what I have so lucky for you, you're on a desert island, okay, and you have only these items at your hand. So your numbers okay. tallied up to a slipper, mm-hmm. a boombox, okay. a flag, and a iPhone charger. What would you do okay. with these items on a desert island? What would I use them for? Yeah. Um, the boombox to see if I could get the, um, actually, you know what? I'm not going to try and get someone's attention. I'd be pretty happy on a desert island. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just going to be comfortable. Um, so I would probably use the, um, the slipper. Um, I would probably find a way if I could sort of make it into like a pillow or something that that's going to make me more comfortable. Um, a boom box would be something um, if it's got batteries, um, something for me to listen to and uh, and in, enjoy. Um, and I think the flag I'd probably use as I burn in, in, in a London fog, like I'm so pale. So I'd probably use that as, as a way to keep myself out of the, the sun. And then at night, probably a blanket. And the iPhone charger, um, I've got to eat. So I would probably, even though I'm vegetarian, I'd probably have to give that up on an island. And I'd probably use that as a, as a snare of some sort. Okay, brilliant. So um, the last question, I guess. So, you know, at the start of a session, I, well, session, where's that come from? I start of a call, um, I asked you what you wanted to be when you grow up. And I guess, yes. you know, we're, we're in an environment where we're constantly always growing up and constantly learning and constantly, you know, we never actually ever grow up to a point. So right. if I was to ask that question now, Laurie, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would the answer be? I, I probably have a very uh, a very flimsy answer to that. I'd say healthy. Um, I, I, I think we we don't know what the rules are going to be when we when we uh, as we get older. If I were to say my my dream, I would still like to go into sciences and 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 something along those lines. Not an astronaut, obviously. The fear of flying is is a problem. But um, if if someone said, "Hey, go for it," I I would probably go into the medical field. Okay. Okay, yeah. interesting. So, Laurie, where can we find and the listeners? Where can we find out more about you? Sure. Um, so, I blog at uh, Laurie.ca. You can find me there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as uh, Laurie Niles Hoffman, one F, two Ns, on Twitter at uh, Laurie Niles. 
Okay, awesome. All right, well, thanks very much for taking the time out today. I really appreciate it. And thank you. I have thoroughly enjoyed this, Danny. This is uh, this has been a great conversation. Awesome. No problem. Thanks, Laurie. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.